This share is brought to you by TorahWeb.org. Thank you, Rabbi Tversky Shalita, for your inspiration. My topic is an important topic. Actually, stems from the parsha we read yesterday as well. Translated is, you shall not be a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. At first glance, two distinct commandments. If one looks in the Balaturim, one sees, however, a strong connection between the two halves of this Pasuk. One should not engage in gossip for no purpose whatsoever. Avol, says the Balaturim, but you shall not be silent when your friend's blood is being spilled because of your silence, because you're not warning him of the impending doom which will result if he is not warned by you of what another individual might do to harm him. So therefore, this very same Pasuk, which prohibits idle gossip, commands that we break our silence, and we warn a fellow something bad may happen to him. This is the equivalent of saving a friend from drowning in the water, which the Talmud describes as a typical case of Losam al Damrayecha. No less a danger than drowning in water can exist with respect to an individual who could be harmed by another. And therefore, the general principle of not speaking ill of another must be set aside in order to save a friend. The basis of the Yerushalmi in Peya, Perek Aleph, Halacha Aleph, in the context of Baalei Meriva, individuals who began to create machlokes and dispute, which as we know, can destroy individuals and communities. In such a context, one may not be silent. And the proof text is in the classic dispute which existed over who would succeed King David, David HaMelech. And Nasan Anavi tells Bathsheba, I will involve myself after you make your request that Shlomo be the successor. I will come and plead with David HaMelech to set aside the insurrection of Adonio, who will harm you, will harm your son, if you do not take action. Sebech as we know, is the classic work which discusses these prohibitions. I'd like to quote two sources this evening from the Sefer Chavetz Chaim. One from Mitzchelik on Rechilus, Perek Tes, Siv Beis, and later to move to his Sefer on Lashon Hara proper, as we shall see. And also, I'm benefiting from some of the wisdom 
which is found in two recent editions of the Sefer Chafetz Chaim, wonderful editions. First one is something called the Chelkat Binyamin, Binyamin Cohen, the son of the world famous Fievel Cohen, Shalita. And the second is the Dirishu version of Sefer Chafetz Chaim. Both wonderful compilations which offer much wisdom. Fascinatingly, the Sefer Chavetz Chaim tells us that he is recounting various conditions in order to permit and even mandate one to break silence. Here in Sefer, in Hilkos Rechilus, Perek Tes Sivbeis, he gives you five conditions. What are the five conditions? <laughs> Very important. Number one, make sure you're telling the truth. Number two, don't exaggerate what you're saying. Three, perhaps most difficult, to have pure intentions, only the toelas. The same phrase he uses back in Hilkos Lashon Hara. Four, it's impossible to achieve this toelas without speaking this Lashon Hara. And five, you have to be certain that the individual about whom you're speaking will not suffer a worse fate than he deserves based upon the behavior that he is guilty of. And then the Chavetz Chaim writes to his audience, he says, I told you five things. It would be a wonder in the eyes of one who studies my works carefully. The first prat that he mentioned in Klal Yud, in Hilchos Lashon Hara, he needed first-hand knowledge. And the Chavaz Chaim writes, in this particular case, first-hand knowledge is not required. It is not required. In order to warn somebody, it is not required. And he sends us to what's probably the most significant Talmudic source for tonight's topic, which is a Talmudic statement in Mesechta Nida, Tav Samach Aleph Amun Aleph, based on Psukim and Sefer Yirmiyo, Perek Mem and Mem Aleph. And we are taught as follows. A verse is cited in the following context. We read at the end of Perak Mem, the 40th Perak in Sefer Yermio, the following story. We know that Gedalia was the regent after the temple was destroyed who was in charge, put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar to take care of the remnant of Kalal Yisrael that was not exiled. And it was a very significant remnant at the time. We all know when Gedalia was killed, it was a tragedy of epic proportions, which led to the exile of so many more Jews than would have been exiled had Gedalia survived. That's why we have Tzom Gedalia. And we are told the following story. Yochanan ben Kareach comes to Gedalia. They tell him, do you know? And the king of Ammon sent Yishmael ben Nisanya to kill you? Gedaliah ben Achikam did not believe him. 
Step two. Yochanan comes back and says, I will kill him to prevent them from killing you. Why should we allow him to kill you? And if you want to be a tzaddik and live up your life, when a folks will call Yehuda and Nikbatsim Melecha, the Avodah Shavis Yehuda, all of the remnant of Yehuda will be destroyed, which in fact happened. What did I respond? Al Taseh Es Adover Azeh. Don't kill him. Kisheker At Adover Ayishmo. You're lying. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So what happens? Parak Mem Aleph begins. Sure enough. Ishmael comes and he kills him. He kills him. And the verse explains what happens. These individuals who are killed, how are they described? A, 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 quite an amazing description. Hansen tells us this pit in which they threw these individuals as called Pigre All the individuals who were killed by Gedalyo. Ask the Gemara in Mesechta, Nida Samach Aleph. Gedalyo? Did he kill them? He didn't kill them. Ishmael killed them. That's the Gemara's question. Ella answers the Gemara. Mitog, Shahoyalo, Lochosh, Latsas, Yochanan, Ben Kareach. Since he should have heeded the advice of Yochanan ben Kareach, and he did not, Torah views it as if he Gedali had killed him. What do you see from here? Oh, my Rava, Rava says, This type of speech of Lashon Lomi boy, one may not accept that it's truth. Mechashlemi boy, one should nevertheless be mindful of it. Be mindful of it. You have to worry. Maybe it's true. You have to protect yourself. And this is Gedaliah's mistake. He had no right to accept it, to believe it. The Maharshal writes that he had no right to tell his friend to kill Ishmael. No, because maybe it's not true. But at the same time, he should have hired security guards to protect himself. Since he did not do so, he's considered complicit in the death of those who were killed and in the entire dispersion of the people of Yehuda. Don't be too great of a tzaddik. You have to be on guard when such a story is told to you. Now, he had no first-hand knowledge, Gedaliah. None. He heard it from someone named Yochanan. Why should he believe it even to the extent of watching himself and not only himself but telling others to be careful? That's the point. This is so critical. You must worry about it even if you have no first-hand knowledge. That's why that precondition which is found in Hilchas Lashon is omitted here in Hilchos Rechilus. So explains the Chavetz Chaim. He cites additional evidence 
for Rashbam in Masechta Baba Basulam a Testament base concerning an individual who is rumored to be dishonest and someone is warned, make sure to hold on to that document that proves your ownership of the field. That star. Otherwise he may claim that it belongs to him. The Chavetz Chaim, going back to Hilchas Lashon Ara, in Perek Vav, Sif Yud and Yud Aleph, however, places significant restrictions on what actions may or may not be taken in such a circumstance. It's very important that we try to read these together to, to seek guidance in how we should conduct ourselves because unfortunately these kinds of scenarios exist all too frequently. The Chavetz Chaim writes, a person may not accept that it's truth. It's a Torah prohibition. Kabbalah Sashon Hara. But the Mechash Miboye, Fidere Chashash, Kidei Lishmor Es Atzmo Mimenu, to protect himself. Shalom Yagiyah Lo Hezek Ayodo, that it should not have any damage to him. It shouldn't be a suffix, a 50-50 chance. No, the person has cheskas kashrus. You have to do whatever the Torah requires you to do to any good, for every any good Jew. Lo nigra erko You shouldn't be considered any less in your eyes. to protect yourself. The es and others. Mimenu, from him. Others as well. Now, where do we have the idea of others as well? Well, in the case of Gedalia, he was supposed to be careful of himself primarily and through himself to protect the entirety of Shevis Yehuda. Where do we have a story that you have to protect other people where you may not yourself be endangered? It's the very next story in the Talmud. Fascinating story. There were some people from Galil, a rumor spread, they were murderers. They came to Abtarfan and said, hide us from the authorities. What did he respond? What should I do? If I do not hide you, they'll kill you. If I do hide you, what may happen? I have to watch myself. What will happen if they find out that I harbored a murderer? They'll, I'll be punished. That's how the Shiltus explains. So you're left with a tremendous dilemma. So what did he do? He said, look, Go and hide yourselves. He's a tough balance. He'd have liked to hide them, but he might be punished himself. Now this, this is a, a, a uh, leads to a general question, which is not the topic for this evening. Whether a person may endanger himself in what we call a suffix sakana to prevent a vadai sakana for somebody else. It's a Yerushalmi, a Rivosh, not for now. But the reason why this case is somewhat different is because we're not discussing an innocent person who's fleeing 
from a wicked authority. There is a story about this which goes back to the town of Chaslavich, where Rabbi Tversky's ancestors hailed by a brave rabbi who hid. A rebel was running away from a wicked regime. But in our case, the person that Rabbi Tarfon was asked to hide was a suspected murderer, but only suspected. Just there was a rumor we didn't know. What do you do with that kind of a dilemma? So here too, we have to be so careful what we do and what we do not do. And the Madana Yom Tov, in commenting on the rush there in Simon Hay in Mesechta Yom Tov, Mesechta Nida, says that damage to your friend should be as great a concern to you as damage to yourself. And he invokes the next pasuk in this week's parasha, yesterday's parasha, the same as you want to save yourself from harm, should want to have the same devotion to protect someone else from harm. And therefore, the Chavetz Chaim continues. It's important to see every word in the next sif, sif yud aleph. There are many people who are unfortunately make, are mistaken. Can't tell every detail, there are too many details. Giving a general principle. You can only protect yourself, but chas v'sholem, lasos sum masa, to do an action, oligram though, even to cause him, shum hezek, any kind of damage, obiush, even shame and embarrassment, even if the Lashon Har was rendered by a one trustworthy witness in a Bezdin, because one witness does not suffice. Not only that, says the Chavetz Chaim, even to hate him, we read yesterday again, is not allowed. That you cannot exempt yourself with this Lashon Har from any chiyuv, any obligation which you have towards that individual. So writes the Chafetz Chaim here in Lachos Lashon Hara, Klal Vav, Sif Yud Aleph. Let's try to analyze what this really means. So in the Be'er Mayim Chaim, which is the super commentary of the Chafetz Chaim on his original Makar Chaim, he tells us many details. What will happen if in a situation if you will not tell this individual what's going to happen? It could cause terrible damage. I'm reading the words. Listen carefully, please. I'm required to tell a proper audience to watch their back, to be careful. But what if I know that this audience will not follow the halacha and they will assume that what I'm saying is absolutely true and they will take illicit actions against the individual about whom I speak? What can it cause? Machlokos atsumos, terrible disputes, 
Vadai Elo Lisaper Klal. You should say nothing. Why? We saw the Madana Yontav says, Just as I'm supposed to make sure nothing bad happens to me, so too I have to make sure that nothing bad happens to somebody else. Therefore, I must tell somebody else to watch himself. I'm protecting myself and my friend. I'm not causing any damage. But if I know that they will accept it as MS Gomor and it will cause damage to the individual about whom I speak, I can't say anything. Just as I am obligated to love the person to whom I wish to speak, so to I'm required to love the person about whom I am speaking. He quotes the famous words of Chazal and Sanhedrin Ayandalit, my Chazis. We don't know whose blood is redder. We don't know the person to whom I want to speak or the person about whom I want to speak. So therefore, shave al do nothing. You can't, if someone tells you, kill him or I'll kill you, you can't kill him because maybe his blood is redder than yours, so you can't do anything. Even if you're going to be killed, that's one of the Yahurag Valyavas. So to over here, you can't say a word about an individual who may be harmed in order to save the person to whom you want to speak, that he shouldn't be harmed. Quite a remarkable analogy here in the Be'er Mayim Chaim Oslamid of the, of the Chafetz Chaim, again based on the Haftal Recha Kamocha. Same time, you also may not refrain from fulfilling your obligations towards such an individual based on a rumored idea. But the question becomes, and it becomes very, very serious, how do we know what we're required to do, what we're not required to do? And here, in in both of these compilations, they quote a landmark tshuva, of the Shoel Umeshif, one of the great authorities of the 19th century. It's in Madura Kama, Chelek Aleph, Simakuf Pehe, quoted in both of these sources. A very terrible story, uh, relating tangentially to the previous topic. This is what happens. Shnas Taryag. Easy to remember, right? Taryag? I believe Taryag was 1853. There was a particular Malamed who was there for eight years. And the children who were his students when they were minors before Bar Mitzvah, now they're more than 13, come to testify that when they were minors, we do the Hebrew only, a terrible accusation. What do you do? So people came and said to the Sholem Eshiv, this is invalid testimony. The Gemara speaks of someone 
who is made the godlo mashara vakotno, sugas and ksubas and elsewhere, not acceptable in a bezin. So therefore, how can we deem this individual about whom this story is being told as guilty? Says the Sholem Eshef. True. Lipsola Adam To render an individual as being possible means possibly Adus, he cannot no longer testify in a court of law. You have to have two kosher witnesses. In this case, since they were minors when these incidents took place, they are not qualified. However, there are more rights in Shulchan Aruch and Mishpat, similar and Hay, in a place where there cannot be Adim Sherem Nehmonim, it's impossible. There cannot be kosher witnesses in such a setting. Afilu Isha V'Katan. The example in the Ramah is an altercation in the Ezra's Noshim of a shul. The women's section. There are no men there. And certainly in the olden days, the men could not see into the women's section. It was impossible for the, any man to have been there. So therefore, we must accept the testimony of women. And so too. I read again only in the Hebrew. This Russia poets, the Mr. Masayurak, we love him, Kitana Misachek. And he says, I'll do what I want to do. Therefore, it's impossible to have aid him to witness these alleged terrible activities. And therefore concludes the Sholem Eshef. While we are not going to say definitively that this individual is possibly Eidos, that requires full-fledged testimony of two men over 13 in the Besden. At the same time, we may not allow him to continue in his position. We have to protect the community. This is what he says. It's a psaq. It's a much longer psaq. Time is not allowed to read the rest of it. But this is a particular situation which the Shoal Omeshev dealt with and he rendered his psaq way back in Taryag in 1853. As we heard earlier, Lelamed ala klal kulo yotza. Such types of allegations cannot, as a rule, be verified by two kosher witnesses. But since these two individuals came forward, we have to set aside this malamed, not allow him to continue in his position. At the same time, one must be careful. Maybe there's reason to question the not just the technical competence of the person testifying, but their credibility. <laughs> the Chazal tells us that Moshe Viharon, the most credible witnesses, but they simply cannot testify together. So too, these two young men, teenagers, over 13, they were very credible, but they were technically deficient. But what happens if we're not even sure about the credibility you put in a much more difficult situation. 
I will recite, relate one story. The story was told to me because a Talmud of mine wanted to go out with a young lady in a particular community, and he had already agreed to go out with her. And then rumors were spreading that her father was guilty of, of inappropriate behavior towards young women. <laughs> Very dangerous to get involved in such a family. So I consulted a senior rabbi in that particular community, and I asked him, what happened in this case? He told me the following tale of woe. A principal in a school, a type school, was accused by a bunch of teenage girls of inappropriate behavior. And you know, in today's world, the topic of my discussion today, innocence until proven guilty, perhaps it's the reverse. It's guilty until proven innocent. And this principal was about to lose his job because you know what happens? People accepted what these girls were saying as being totally true. They didn't engage in any Dwisha Vechakira, which they should have, and he's going to be terminated and ruined. Who was going to hire such an individual after being terminated for such charges? The president of the school, a lay leader, was convinced of the innocence of this principal. And because he was president and he ran the show, he said, if you want to fire the principal, that's fine. But I'm closing the school. I'm putting a lock on the front door. All of a sudden, these parents who were tumbling, having no place for their children to go to school, they sort of backed off. It turns out that these young ladies fabricated a story out of whole cloth because they were angry at the principal for not giving in to their silly teenage demands. And they were ready to destroy an individual. And if not for the heroism of the school president, that might have transpired. And so he tells me, tell your Talmud he can go out with this young lady. No problem. And you know what he said? The following year, the school honored him at the annual dinner. The same principle they were about to fire. So we seek, you have to be so careful in these types of situations. Yes, the mechash boya, you have to worry about it. But you have to undergo a very careful drisha v'chakira before you terminate someone who has a tenured position as a principal in a school, you're going to ruin him for life. You're caught between a rock and a hard place. Yes, if you look in the commentaries on the on the Chafetz Chaim, to give the following example, we're not permitted to accept Lashon Hara about somebody in general. But let's say someone tells us that this individual, when he borrows money, doesn't pay back. There are such people. Pirkei Elva speaks about them in very negative terms. Lova Veina Mishale. You are not required to lend him money. Rumors are bound, he doesn't pay back. I'm not required to lend him money. So too. Rumors about a certain individual's lack of honesty. I should not enter into a partnership with him. Because if you enter into a partnership with him, 
it's very likely to lead to a machlokas with dispute, to a chilul Hashem. In Vokal Gemara Mesech to Shavuos Lamites, when the individual might swear falsely, we read just again yesterday, Hosishava Bishmila Ashoka Bechilat, Hosheim Alakech Ani Hashem. More than that, a person who is working in a particular capacity, a worker, a regular worker, and the contract lapses after a certain amount of time, you're not required to renew the contract. Again, this is not the same as our previous story of, of firing a principal on grounds of impropriety. You see, the contract is up, very often, if a contract is up, the person is not rehired. And they quote the words of the Holy Chavetz Chaim himself at the very end of Sebech Chavetz Chaim. He himself refers to what he wrote. Here in the Be'er Mayim Chaim, look what I wrote in what he called it, Siurim. Siurim are the examples of cases in the back. And here he has certain situations which are so serious that you must say something. For example, Shiduchim. We know how difficult the world of Shiduchim is. And now the question becomes, you know that an individual has a certain holy penimi, some disease which is internal and cannot be discerned, a physical blemish. Or you know that someone has apicursus, a spiritual blemish. Sarech legalos. You must disclose it to a potential shidduch partner. And he quotes the post with which we began. As began by quoting this from the Balaturim, I quote it one more time from the Holy Sefer Chavetz Chaim, Siurim Zayin. And he also makes reference to the Ber Mayim Chaim, which is his Again, super commentary that he, he himself wrote in Os Yudzayim, the very, very last, the very, very last page of this beautiful sefer. Even if you know that the shidduch will certainly become bottle, doesn't matter. So too, if you know about a malamed that he has apocursus, you must tell the balabayas. If he loses parnasa, it doesn't matter. But you have to reveal it as you understand it. Belashon Shamati. I heard it. Therefore, you should make an inquiry. You can't say it for sure, but you don't know it for sure. Very, very important. To summarize, we're not permitted to believe what we are told. All too often, people love to believe negativity about others. Some call it a, a Shanda Freud. They love Shandas, you know. The press loves to find blemishes in individuals. Ah, have a field day. We're not permitted to believe everything that we hear. Certainly, we're not permitted to believe everything that we may read in certain organs whether they be official press. Today, everybody has a press. You press a button and put it on the internet. All kinds of terrible things are said about 
wonderful individuals, <laughs> and often they said behind anonymity, with cowardice. They say bad things about people, even great people, even wonderful Torah leaders. Every day, excoriated by scoundrels on the internet. It's terrible. It's not a new phenomenon. Not at all. This happens all the time since the organized press began. Sometime, I think, in the 19th century, we read about many, many newspaper articles attacking the greatest Rabbanim, whom we have the highest esteem, whose forum we read to this day, attacked by all kinds of people just because they want to score points more often than not with no basis whatsoever. And if there's any small basis, it's exaggerated to the point that it's a distortion, which is really a, a falsehood. We're not permitted to believe it. We shouldn't even be reading these things. Now, difficult to avoid anyone who's connected to, to the internet. It's everywhere. We're not permitted to believe it. Yes, a person is innocent until proven guilty. Especially a person who comes with a stellar reputation. On the other hand, if we're not just making value judgments, but we are concerned about being harmed ourselves or others, we must take appropriate precautions without believing it. But nonetheless, you must take precautions. This is what the Gemara tells us. Not only may we, we are required to take precautions. And Gedalia is castigated for not having taken the appropriate precautions. But only precautions which will save us and others without causing undue harm to the person whose behavior is suspect. It's a tightrope. It's true. It's true. But we have to try to walk that tightrope to the best of our ability. Remember, we are commanded in the Pasha we just read yesterday, this duality, as the Balaturim said, and many years later, the Chafetz Chaim echoed the same interpretation of this juxtaposition. Let us finally remember that just as we are required to watch our our own back, we are required to watch somebody else's back as well with the most famous precept of yesterday's parsha of Yahavta And therefore, an individual whom we suspect, and we know that the person to whom we speak will watch themselves, but without taking measures to harm the person about whom we're speaking illicitly, we must speak to him. Absolutely must speak to him and tell him, watch your back. I'm watching my back because what I heard, I don't know it for a fact, I'm not believing it, but I have to watch myself to protect myself. You must protect yourself as well. But if you know that the individual is not going to just protect himself, but is going to take strong measures against the individual about whom you are speaking, which are illicit, and they're harming him more than he should be harmed. 
then you have to make a value judgment. We don't know whose blood is better than whom. We have to be shaved al tasa, even though we know that the person to whom we would like to have spoken may be harmed, but we're not permitted to protect him if he's going to do something wrong to the person about whom we wish to speak. You can all see very well how difficult these evaluations are. No one said they're easy. And they have to be taken very slowly, very deliberately. A person involved in Kabbalah's Lush and Hara is treated as a Dayan. Losisa Shema Shav is quoted in the context of a Dayan. And the Chazal tells us in the Gemara it refers to a Dayan, that a judge, a literal judge, in a Bezin, may not hear one side without the other there. And the very same post tells us we're not permitted to accept the Shonara. Because any individual who is listening to something bad about another individual is in effect a judge. What does a judge do? Yes, Chazal tell us. And this is the only thing which saves us. A judge on, sitting on the bench in their literal bezin is exonerated if after very careful deliberation he reaches a conclusion which may not be perfectly accurate because it was accurate in his eyes. He only has human eyes, not divine eyes. But so too must equally deliberate response be in something not so serious in our own minds as a judge sitting at a bench with three people and two people in front of him, litigants, but just a passing conversation about an individual. You're a judge. Every one of us is a judge. We have to think very carefully. We're not allowed to believe it fully. We have to protect ourselves. And whether we pass it on to somebody else depends on the circumstances. Will the individual to whom we speak merely protect himself? Will he damage someone else more than he deserves? Yes, these are judgment calls, and no judgment is perfect. We may make mistakes. But if we act with proper COVID rosh, thinking about it seriously, and trying our best to fulfill the letter and spirit of the law, we can say to the Rabboni Shalom, this is what I thought at the time. I may have made a mistake in either direction, saying what I should not have said, not saying what I should have said, but it wasn't because of flippancy. I'll just say it because it's great to spread bad things about others. Or it wasn't to the contrary because I'm just afraid to say anything which as we heard in our previous presentation is a good Jewish trait not to say anything about, bad about somebody else. But as the Chavetz Chaim comments elsewhere, the Yetzirah is so strong. When we should be silent, we speak. When we should speak, we, become, we, we be silent. Because that Yetzirah is coming from both directions. We have to overcome the Yetzirah and act in good faith both in our silence and in our speech. We should be Zohar to fulfill Thank you for listening.